0: Well, hello. How you doing today? <clears throat> this is Evangelist Gary Mann, and this is the On the Road Podcast. Ah, my goodness. Uh, this is a day <clears throat> that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I certainly hope you're having a great day, or have had a great day. And uh, here, in I am in the Amherst, Ohio area tonight. And I'm in my room, that is in the basement of a uh, local Baptist church here in the area, <clears throat> and it's very nice. Uh, there's no windows. I like to have a window. <laughs> I like a little sunshine coming in. And uh, but anyway, so uh, they they opened it up to me so I could be here. I got here yesterday, which was Friday. I stayed last night. I'm going to stay tonight, Saturday night, and then. I preach tomorrow for my good friend Brady Smale, and if you've been keeping up with me on Facebook, you've seen a couple of the things that I've put out there, little short little videos that I put out, and uh, so I'll be preaching here at the, uh, I think it's Lake Avenue Baptist Church, I think is the name of the church here in Elyria, Ohio, and I'll be preaching here tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and then at the 11 o'clock service And then we go for a meal and back for this 3 o'clock service, and then we're done for the day. And then on Monday, uh, we will get up, and uh, weather permitting, we will play a game of golf. And uh, so I did that with he and his brother. I think his brother played with us last year. We went out and played 18 holes in a local course, very nice course. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So hopefully the rain will hold off it. It was pouring out there a little while ago. So anyway, uh, but I left home on Thursday. Uh, I'm going solo on this trip, which means my wife stayed home. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be up here almost well, pretty, pretty close to three weeks. I'll be gone. But I left Thursday, and I got to uh, Johnston City, Illinois, which was almost 600-mile drive by myself. And there's a campground there where we used to, when we had the camper, that's where we would stop for the night, hook up our camper, and uh, then get up the next morning and go to Ohio or wherever we're going up in this area. And so <clears throat> I, I stayed there uh, last year in the tent, <laughs> and I stayed again this year in the tent. And again, if you follow me on Facebook, then... You saw those pictures also where I was set up. I I, fa- I, I got my tent and I faced it towards the lake because I'm right on one of the lots there on the lake there at Johnston City. And a uh, very nice little campground. And it's run by the city, by the way. And so they keep it in really good shape and they put up a brand new building, tore down the old ones and updating things. It only cost me $19. So that's the Arrowhead uh, Park if you're ever in Johnston City, Illinois, and uh, just that's north of Cairo, um, a little ways, about 50, 60 miles north, I think it's on Route. What is that? Route 55 or Route 57? I can't remember which one it is. But anyway, um, so that's where I was, and I stayed the night there. I, I cooked my own meal, but the meal was in one of those bags. Then I bought those bags. They're like ten dollars a piece and uh but the expiration date on the back was the year 2025 so <laughs> that stuff lasts a long time and so i i got out my my stove that was uh given to me by a friend back in longview and uh got some water and boiled the water and poured the water in and then i poured the the food into a uh a plate that i have and uh, ate that and it was good it was good chicken and dumplings okay and uh, as good as that kind of thing can be, I guess. But it was good. And uh, then I got up yesterday morning, and uh, I drove here. I didn't get here till about seven o'clock uh, last night, which would have been six o'clock Texas time. But I lost an hour <coughs> coming this way. And uh, but that's what happens. That's you know when you're on the road, you gotta take the time factor uh, in mind and look at the time changes and all that kind of thing. And so, you know, this time last month, I think, uh, we were in the Northwest, and there was a two-hour difference uh, up in Washington, a one-hour difference in Idaho. And uh, so you got to take all that into consideration when you're traveling and, uh, you know, what time I'm going to get there and what kind of you know, is it going to be an hour ahead, an hour an hour behind, uh, and take that into consideration when you're trying to get somewhere, and you want to get there on time. Well, I didn't have a particular time that I had to be here, but I got here about seven o'clock, and uh, I was tired. Um, but really, the the tent, uh, I slept good in the tent. I took a. I have a blow-up mattress, a thicker one, not not the one I used in Colorado and Utah. This is a thicker one. It's about three, four inches thick. And then I put one of those mattresses uh, that we use in Colorado. I put one of those on top of that because it has a pillow. And so I blew both of those up, and I I had a good night's sleep and uh, wasn't hot. Uh, it didn't get didn't get real hot or anything. It was in the seventies and so it was comfortable and uh, got up yesterday and uh, I bought some milk and cereal in uh, the town there the night before. So I had breakfast yesterday morning with milk and cereal and a glass of milk, and then uh, I took my pills that I have to take for high blood pressure and all that. Anyway, so that's, that's what it's like on the road. And if you've done any travel at all, you know that you just have to be flexible, and uh, you have to be able to uh, make things do. And, and uh, so that's what I did. And so I'll be preaching here tomorrow. Then Monday, I will after I play golf, <laughs> I will leave to go down to the Columbus, Ohio area, and uh, I'll be in Anchor Baptist Church there on Climb Road in Columbus uh, with my good friend and a longtime friend, uh, pastor George Bell and his wife uh we got saved in the same church about the same time he got saved a little, little bit sooner uh than I did or earlier than I did uh there at the Hayden Enterprise Hayden Run Road Enterprise Baptist Church and I got saved in 1973 uh, he got saved a few months before that maybe a year I'm not sure and uh, so anyway we've been friends ever since we were in high school together uh, but he was in one group and I was in another, and we didn't have much to do with each other. So, anyway, uh, but now that we're saved, we're you know we're we're, we're best of friends. We're best of friends. I uh, they, they're actually going to let me stay in their house uh, for for four or five days. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is his uh, yearly Faith Harbor week. And I want to encourage anybody that's in the Ohio area. Or in close by in the surrounding states to come on up to Columbus and go to the Faith Harbor Week. There'll be four different preachers there: Mike Johnson from California, uh, Jeff Smale, another good friend of mine uh, here from Mansfield, Ohio. Uh, Tony Hudson uh, will be there, and then my good friend Daryl Cox from North Carolina. So those four preachers will be preaching, and uh, during the daytime services and the evening services. So I'm looking forward to that. Then on uh, then on Friday I'll pack up, and I'm not exactly sure what I'll do uh, then. I might be going and camping out for a few days, uh, up in the Delaware Ohio area, and then be with uh, my church that I started, Grace Baptist Church in Delaware Ohio be with them on that Sunday, uh, I think. Uh, That's not not been engraved in stone yet, um, but that's, that's the way it looks. So I'll be with them and possibly go to another church in Grove City on that Sunday night. And so we'll see how it goes. I haven't heard anything back from the pastor of Grace Baptist Church yet, so I don't know. So that's kind of up in the air. Um, But anyway, then on that following Wednesday, I will preach for my friend, uh, Pastor Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, in Lancaster, Ohio, and then that following Sunday, I'll preach for Brother Bell. And then on Monday, I'll see my sister in Indianapolis, and then after that, on Tuesday, I'll start a long drive home, and uh, then... I'll be home for a couple of weeks, then I'll pack up again, and I'll fly to Uganda. And I'll say more about that as the time goes on. But anyway, hey, if you want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch through my email address, which is OTR, all capital letters, O-T-R Podcast at USA, and those are capitalized, of course, dot com. So O-T-R Podcast at usa. Dot com. Um, I I normally, when I get into a church, I'll ask the pastor if there's anything he wants me to preach or teach on. And a lot of times I'll just say, no, brother, you know, whatever God puts on your heart or whatever. And uh, always try to um, not be... Too repetitious and preach the same message over and over and over and over again. Um, but he asked me to teach in Sunday school about the King James Bible, and of course, I've got some information on that. <laughs> and then also uh, on on Sunday morning, he said I can preach whatever. And I'm going to say some things about my trip to Uganda, because they helped me last year uh, a little bit financially with that trip. So I want to give a report about that. And then I'm not sure exactly what I'll be preaching on uh, uh, tomorrow morning. I better make up my mind, because it is tomorrow morning. (laughs) And so that'll be at 11 o'clock. And then, uh, like I said, we'll go for a meal, and then back at 3 o'clock, he wants me to teach on the Bibles that were before before the King James Bible. And I did not have anything <clears throat> on that with me. I've got a few things back at the house, but that's 1,200 miles away. And so I got online and I came up with some information about that. And I'm going to start the message from 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm turning there in my um, Thompson reference Bible. Here that I have with me on this trip Second Timothy chapter number 3 And Second uh, Timothy chapter number 3 Has a lot of information there About the truth and about the Bible And uh, what we should do and how we should do it And some of those things I taught last week In, uh, in my lesson that, that came out on Tuesday About the King James Bible and uh, so I'm going to kind of follow up a little bit on that and get into some other things here uh, in chapter three, and then talk a little bit, uh, not extensively at all, but a little bit about the Bibles that the English uh, version Bibles that came into existence uh, before the King James Bible. And uh, I found some information that that some some stuff I never knew. And so I'm glad I got into this uh, study a little bit. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 7, uh, it says that there were going to be a group of people who are ever learning and ne- never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's going to be people that, that, that they live, if you will, to, to learn things, to, to get knowledge. And, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, we need to be knowledgeable about things. And uh, But these people were ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of, of the truth. Now, of course, the truth, you know, what is truth? Thy word is truth. And then uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that Jesus is the truth. We know that the Bible is the truth. And so these people, for some reason, one, one thing or another, and, and gives a list of things, I'm talking about these people, starting at verse number 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And here's the description. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And then the verse, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So we're supposed to turn away from those people. And then for of this sort, verse 6, are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I start out with that because here I am going to do a study uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon about the Bibles that led up to the English translated Bibles um, that uh, led up to the King James Bible. And so in the, in the epistle dedicatory... Uh, which is the letter to the king, in other words, King James, the translators, and I've got in front of one of my Bibles that I have with me, and, and I looked it up, and it said this. It says, For <clears throat> when your highness had once, out of, out of uh, deep judgment, apprehended how convenient it was that out of the original sacred tongues, Hebrew, or American, Greek, in other words, together... With comparing of the labors, both in our own tongue and other foreign languages, of many worthy men who went before us, there should be one more exact translation of the scriptures into the English tongue. And so they said that not only did they look into the original languages, uh, the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and they also looked into some Latin. But they also, as they worked on the translation of King James Bible, it says, "...together with comparing of the labors, both in our own tongue and other foreign languages." So they they, they looked at what other men, how they had translated uh, the by the Word of God into the English, and they looked into other languages, Spanish, French, Latin, and others. And it says, Of whom many worthy men who went before us, there should be one more exact translation of the Holy Scriptures into the English tongue. And then they state their purpose. Their purpose is stated when they wrote this. It says, We are poor instruments, talking about themselves, to make God's holy truth to be yet more and more known unto the people. Their goal Was to have the Word of God translated in the vulgar language. They said in their letter to the readers, and the word "vulgar" there does not mean dirty, does not mean untoward uh, conversation or or tongues or or writing, but it means the common language, the vulgar language, the common language. They wanted a Bible that the people could read, and that so the people could know the way of salvation, and the people could know. And uh, so it says in one place, and I'm doing this for memory, that they not only heard the word of God uh, from the preacher as they preached, but they could hear it themselves as they read it themselves. So their goal was to be, was for the Bible to be yet more and more known unto the people. That was their goal. So then in the front of, our, uh, front of all the Bibles, I think, the, the King James Bibles, it says this. It says the Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments, translated out of the original tongues, and with the former translations in English and other languages, diligently compared and revised. Now, what were the English language Bibles before the King James Bible? And uh, I got this information from, of course, Wikipedia, which is the online encyclopedia. Of course, you have to be careful Uh, because they're not always right about everything. But there's a list of English Bible translations into the English. And uh, the first one, everybody knows this, was Tyndale's Bible. That came out in 1525. It consisted of the New Testament and a small portion of the Old Testament. And uh, it says, and I quote, several times copies of his work were solemnly burned. End quote. So, in other words, not not many of his his uh, translation survived. And his goal was, he said, "I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than the pope." And he was, of course, eventually executed for having translated the Bible uh, into the English language and tried to make it available. To the common folks, okay. Tyndale's work, uh, words, I'm sorry, account for 84% of the King James Bible, New Testament. So eighty-four percent of what you read in the New Testament, in the King James Bible, uh, is exact is exactly the way that Tyndale translated it. Eighty-four percent. And then the Old Testament, what part of the Old Testament that he did, which wasn't a whole lot of it, it says 75.8% of the words of the Old Testament <clears throat> um, in, are in the book that he had translated. And um, and I looked up the source for these English versions, and every one of these English versions' Bibles were taken from the same source, the Masoretic text for the Hebrew and the Old Testament, and the Texas Receptus for the New Testament. Now, it might be from Erasmus, it might be from Biza, it might be from some of the others, but anyway, uh, but it's interesting, every one of them, every single one of them, was taken from the Masoretic text and the Texas Receptus. The Masoretic text for the Hebrew, Texas Receptus for the Greek. Now, the second Bible came out in fifteen thirty-five, which was only ten years after Tyndale's Bible, and that was done by Miles Coverdale. So it's called the Coverdale Bible. It was and it says it was much influenced by Tyndale. And it basically it's Tyndale's New Testament and the Old Testament that he had done. Now Coverdale translated the rest of the Old Testament from Latin and German versions. Okay? And he also compared from the Masoretic and Hebrew and the Texas Receptus Greek. And I'm I'm guessing, I imagine, that the Latin and German versions were also translated from the Masoretic and the Texas Receptus. And uh, I'm going to look into that more because I'm I'm not absolutely positive on that. But I imagine it was um, because the Alexandrian manuscripts were not in existence yet. Now, I know some people say they were. And they say that the critical text um, manuscripts that are used for the RSV and the ASV and the others... They they say they're the oldest. They say they're older than the ones, that, than the Texas Receptus. Well, that's not true. That's just not true at all. Besides that, the Texas Receptus came from the correct line of manuscripts, while the Alexandrian line of manuscripts is tampered with and changed, and words are missing, and whole verses and parts of chapters. Anyway... The next Bible uh, that came out uh, was issued by John Rogers. Now, he used another name to protect himself, and it came out in 1537. So it came out two years after Coverdale's Bible. And again, it was Tyndale's New Testament, Old Testament, along with Coverdale's Old Testament translation. And this, the Matthews Bible was approved uh, by King Henry the VIII, um, but you don't hear much about it. Now, here's one I didn't know about, the, the Tavernus Bible, T-A-V-E-N-E-S-S. And basically, it came out in 1539, two years after the Matthews Bible, and it is just a revision of the Matthews Bible. And it, that's the only thing I've ever heard about. It. And, and And so, you know, evidently, uh, it, it it it's it's not it's not famous. Nobody knows about it hardly, but it was just a simple revision of Matthew's Bible. Now then we have the Great Bible. Okay, it was also compiled by Coverdale in 1539. So cover the Coverdale Bible came out in 1535. Four years later, Coverdale compiled the Great. Bible. Why was it called the Great Bible? It was called the Great Bible because it was big. It was just it was made in a in a big uh, a big Bible. Okay, kind of like a family Bible, maybe a little bit bigger than that even. Uh, But here's what it says: It was issued to meet a decree that each church should make available in some convenient place the largest possible copy of the whole bible where the people could have access to it and read it at their will. And so still, even in 1539, you know, they they would get a great bible, a big one, and Coverdale came up with it under the king's orders, and they said, "Let's let's have a big bible and we'll put it in a convenient place in the in the church where people could come and read it." So the people still did not have their own copy of the Bible. Now, back in Tyndale's day, they, they, they were able to disperse or uh, to um, uh, take some of the works and, and, and deliver it to people and, and what have you. But a lot of those got burned uh, because the Pope was mad and the king was mad and no, nobody liked it. And that's why they ended up uh, killing. Um, he was executed. Tyndale was executed. Simply because he translated the Bible into the English language, and so Tyndale's desire had not yet been realized that the plowboy would know the Word of God better than the Pope. And then it says about the Great Bible, quote: Only the upper classes were were to be allowed to possess a Bible, and that's because they could afford it. And and so again, you know, the desire, <clears throat> the desire. Of Tyndale was for the plowboy to be able to read it and and know it. Uh, The desire for the translators was so the people could have it, and uh, and all that. Now, the next Bible came out uh, from Geneva, Switzerland. It's, It's called the Geneva Bible. It came out in 1560, and the chapter and verse divisions were first used in the Geneva Bible. But Queen Mary when she became Queen of England, she reunited the Church of England uh, in, a, in an allegiance to Rome with the Catholics. And, and the kings and queens back in those, they did not like, um, um, they did not like, what was his name? Uh, Calvin. They did not, they did not they didn't like John Calvin. So they, they did not like uh, some of these Bibles, and, and that happened later on. Um, but anyway, so Queen Mary reunited the Church of England in a in a an allegiance to Rome. But again, again not many people had their own copy of this. Now it it became more accessible. And uh, a copy of it did come over on the Mayflower along with the King James Bible. And uh, anyway, so so that's what happened and that was in 1560. So Tyndale was the first one. That was in 15, well I say, 1525. The Coverdale Bible was next, 1535. Matthew's Bible was in 1537. Uh, Taverner's Bible was in 1539. The Great Bible was in 1539. Uh, the Geneva Bible was in 1560. And then we come up to the Bishop's Bible. Um, But its publication ceased or stopped Before the first edition of the King James Bible And then of course the King James Bible The translators worked on that From uh, 1604 to 1611 When they were done with it And uh, they came out with the first copies And and all that Okay, Um, Let's see uh, but th- but that that's not that's not those are not the only English versions before the 1611. Um, there are 13 others, even before Tyndale. Um Let's see. The first one was the Aldheim Bible, and it was it was translated from the Vulgate. And a lot, a lot of these 13 different uh, versions or portions of the Bible, what have you. They, most of them were not complete. They did not uh, have the whole Bible. There would be maybe just the book of Psalms, or maybe they would just be the Gospels, or maybe uh, just this book or that book. And uh, But the Old it came out in the 7th or the 8th century sometime in there. And then there was the Bede Bible, B-E-D-E. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It came out in 735. Then there was the King Alfred, and it came out in 900. And then there was Alfred the Scribe, who came, he came out with something in the 950 to 970 um, AD. And then there was the Farman, F-A-R-M-A-N, again 950 to 970. Um, There's the Efric, A-E-F-R-I-C, came out in 900. Uh, There's the Wessex Gospels, so just the Gospels. Uh, That came out in 990. Then the Roll, the R-O-L-L-E, came out in the early 14th century, as did the West Midland Psalms and the 14th century Bible version. Those all came out in the early 14th century. Then there's the the one called the Life of Soul, S-O-U-L, came out in 1400. Then there's the Mirror of the Blessed Life of Jesus, uh, which was just a paraphrase of the Gospels. It came out in 1410, and it was printed six times by 1535. And then there's William Laxton, uh, version uh, 1483 to 1484 all of these were either old english or middle english and it was all leading up to the english that we see in the king james bible today and so with all of this you know i i have the the question that comes up over and over and over again is this is our king james bible that we have in our hands today is it trustworthy Is it it the Word of God? Now, we've got to understand, first of all, that the Word of God has always been. Okay? The Word of God has always been. And God has promised. um, He has promised. uh, He told us here in in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that verse tells us how God gave the Scriptures. He gave us the Scriptures by inspiration of God. God breathed and spoke the word of God to the men of uh, the holy men of God, and they spake as they were as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It says in one of the books in the in the New Testament. And uh, now, so so let me let me kind of back up a little bit here. So not only you know so everybody uh, the the critics uh, and those who say we need to update the King James Bible. Well, why we have hundred sixty or so different ver- different English versions. ...that have been in existence or are in existence. And uh, when will they ever be satisfied? If, if they updated it, okay, the, ne- the New King James is supposedly an update of the King James Version, and they did a lousy job of it. The, revi- re- the Revised Standard Version was an update of, of the King James Bible, and of course it was translated from the Alexandrian text, which is a corrupted text... And uh, use the different kind, the, the wrong way of interpretation, and so anyway. So the Word of God has always been, and God promised. He told us. He said, "I'm going to give it to you by inspiration." And then Matthew five eighteen, Matthew twenty four thirty five, and uh, Mark thirteen thirty one tells us that uh, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. They shall never pass away. So the word of God is going to be there somewhere. And I believe that somewhere is in the King James Bible. And uh, because the versions, they all have verses missing, they all have excuses why a verse is not supposedly a part of the Bible and all this kind of stuff. Now... uh, so everybody makes a, the the critics those who say we you know we don't the King James Bible is too easy too hard to read etc etc cetera, et cetera. That's, that's not true that's just not true at all it's not hard to read um, so but there in 1769 Oxford said okay we got to we got to we got to do some things with the King James Bible so what did they do they did five things to the King James Bible they Number one, they made a greater and more regular use of italics. So the italicized words in the Bible is uh, words that the translators put in there, and and they wanted to make sure that people understood that this word is an italic, which means it was inserted to help make that verse more understandable, easier to read and have a flow and all that kind of thing. So in Oxford in 1769, Oxford University, they used greater and more regular use of italics. The second thing they did was minor changes in the text, and there were 111 of these minor changes in the text. For example, maybe there's a verse that uses the word he in there, and when Scrivener and others looked at it, uh, and and those in Oxford, when they were doing this in 1769, they uh, they took out the word he, and it did not change, or they added the word he, or they added a a simple word, or uh, a one. And I, I had an example of this, but I don't have it with me. Um, but you can look it up on on online. Just just type in my what are the changes made to the King James Bible in 1769, and they'll come up, come up with it and show it to you. But there were minor changes. None of the changes, none of the 111 changes that were made, none of them make any difference whatsoever in doctrine. None of them. I've looked at all 111 of them. None of them make any difference in, 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 in any kind of doctrine, none of them. And again, there were just minor cha- minor changes. The word "and" was taken out, or or "and" was put in. I mean, things like that, just little stuff. And maybe I'll I'll print that uh, list off and maybe and maybe go through that list the next time. Um, and then number three, what did they do: the adoption of modern spelling. The adoption of modern spelling. You go back to the 1611 version, and they had the black. Uh, it's called the Black um, Style of Letters. It's very hard to read, and the s's look like f's to us, okay. They did not have a standardized uh, way of spelling things back in the 1600s. Well, in 1769, <clears throat> that, be- that started to become uh, more solid. And so they- the adoption of modern spelling, it did not change the word. It did not change the meaning of the word. It just gave the more modern spelling in 1769. Now, it's different then than it is now because they spelled favor, F-A-V-O-U-R. Well, we, nowadays, we have dropped the U. Okay, you drop the U, and it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference in the word at all. But what they did, number one, they, they used greater and more regular use of italics. Number two, there were very minor, minor changes in the text. Number three, there was adoption of modern spelling. Number four, there was changes in the marginal notes and references. okay. There were some notes connected with the King James Bible, and, and they made changes in those marginal notes and references. Again, had nothing to do with the Bible itself, because it was translated. They translate or were careful in their work. And then number five, correction of printer errors. Correction of print. Those were the five things that they did in 1769. Basically, not basically, but exactly, you can read today in the King James Bible, In the 1769 version, you can go back to a 1611, and it'll say the same thing. It's just that there are more italics. There are minor changes. The word and is left off or put in, or he is left off or put in, that kind of thing. Um, The adoption of modern spelling, better spelling. Uh, Changes in marginal notes and correction of printer errors. And besides that, they use the Roman type now instead of the old kind of uh, type in 1611, where you could, (laughs) you had to really be careful. I mean, read that thing, it was very difficult to read. So those are the five different things that have been. So is our King James Bible trustworthy? Absolutely. It absolutely is. Even the 1769. So anyway, so I I put this down just in closing real real quick. Regardless of our education, we can know all the history uh, of of the King James Bible. We can understand all the facts and how we got it and why we use it and all that. But it all boils down to this. It boils down to trusting God and his promises. He said he would give us the word of God by inspiration, and that's what he did. I understand it. I can explain it but my faith and my trust is in the god who inspired it okay and in of course i have that conf- i have that same confidence not not just in god and it, but i also have that same confidence in his word because i know how he got it to us by inspiration and then preservation Which means the words that he spoke to Moses are the same words that we have in the King James Bible. It's just been translated from Hebrew to Greek. I mean, sorry, Hebrew to English. And so I trust God in his word. I trust the men that God used to give the word to. I trust that he has preserved the word like he promised that he would. We would have every word. Man is not lived by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we have that. And then I trust the translation that is done accurately. I, the men that God gave the words to, they wrote it down exactly as God spoke it. Those that copied the Word of God, if they were honest, and if they did not have some sort of agenda, like the people of Alexandria did, the, the scribes that would copy down, they did an exact copy of that, and that's where preservation is. And then the, man, the men who translated it, uh, there's never been another translation team like the, king, like the team that translated the Word of God into the English uh, for the King James Bible, and I believe that they translated it accurately, word for word accurately. So we have the word, and we can trust it. We have it in our, in our hands. I've got, I've got my hand on mine right here. I've got two of them sitting here. And I'm, I'm, I've got my hand on one. I'm looking at the other. They're King James Bibles. I can trust it explicitly, explicitly. I believe God preserved his word. He said he would. So even though I can, I can explain all this to you, even though I have all this knowledge about it, I am not like those that I read about in chapter 3 who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I am ever learning. I am, uh, there's things I don't know. I, like I said, I, I just learned today about that one Bible, the Tavernus Bible. I I never knew about that one, and shame on me. I didn't know that. All it was was a revision uh, of the Bible that came from before that. So anyway, hey, don't forget, this is a day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm recording this in my room on Saturday night. I'm going to see if I can upload it here on the Wi-Fi that we have here at the room, and then uh, put it out on Tuesday, because Monday I'm going to be traveling and playing golf. And then on Tuesday, uh, I'll be at, uh, at the meeting there at Brother Bell's in Columbus, Ohio. So anyway, hey, I hope you have a great day. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at otrpodcasts at usa.com or through Facebook. And so again, remember, this is a day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Have a great one.